When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show and this week's episode of The Big Thing. Every week, we bring you a deep dive into a major story in the soccer world. This week, we're taking a look back at the NWSL's regular season and looking forward to the postseason. To help me look in both of those directions, hopefully without hurting our necks too much, I'm joined by a returning guest, Backheel.com's Ariana Cascone. Ariana, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing well today. How are you? I am well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and do this. I know you're working and writing and doing all sorts of those kinds of things. Like I said in the intro, we're going to talk about a bunch of on-field NWSL stuff. And before we get to that stuff, it is important to note, Ariana, that players and staff members and employees and families and media folks and really so many other people are acutely feeling the weight of the Sally Yates report and, and sort of the aftermath of that report that was published last week. So we're not going to, you and I, get into the latest fallout from that report on this show. Instead, we're choosing to spotlight many of the players and teams who have done some great work on the field this year and to give credit to those players who, who really had the end of the regular season overshadowed, uh, justifiably so, but by no real fault of their own. So The Athletic, The Equalizer, Henry Bushnell at Yahoo, ESPN, and tons of other folks around the media landscape are really diligently covering that story and and the fallout from last week's Sally Yates report. So go check out their coverage because that stuff is important. But like I said, we wanted to shine a light on the field with the playoffs pretty much breathing down our necks at this point to talk about some of the work that these players and teams have done this year. So with all of that stuff being said, Ariana, Let's get to a little bit of a regular season recap. So maybe our first segment and and most of the second segment, if not all of it, are going to be looking back at the regular season. And then we'll finish out with some awards talk and look ahead to the postseason as well. So let's start with this. Ariana, what was the best thing that you saw on the field in the NWSL this year? For me, I think maybe the expansion team's really balling out. I mean, we saw a 17-year-old come in and score three goals in three starts for the San Diego Wave. You know, they were at the top of the table for a large stretch of the season. I'm sure we'll get into that. But I love records and things like that. And just having a 17-year-old Jaden Shaw come in and do that, I thought was lights out. Yeah, that is a great pick. The expansion teams we talked about, Ariana, back before this season started about the fact that these teams were teams to watch, but maybe it was going to take them a while to adjust. And we'll talk about whether or not that was the case in a little bit. But Jaden Shaw coming in and doing some work for the San Diego Wave is a great pick there. Do you do you feel like, sort of to, to look at this in a macro way, do you feel like this year's NWSL season hit in terms of the on-field stuff? So quality-wise, to me, as someone who didn't watch nearly as much of it as you did, I'm sure, these years seemed compelling. Did you feel that from where you sit? To me, this season was a really fun ride. I mean, if we think back to the Challenge Cup and just think through each team's trajectory since then, I mean... We had two teams in the Challenge Cup who were, you know, competing for that trophy, the North Carolina Courage and Washington Spirit, and neither one of those teams ended up making it to the playoffs. <laughs> and we had some teams that maybe had really, you know, questionable Challenge Cups just come to the regular season and dominate. Um, we also had a really fun Shield race, and then the the final, the top six teams in the playoffs, those decisions came in the end of the season too. So yeah. I think overall it was definitely a lot of fun and, and like I said, a wild ride. So the Challenge Cup, you mentioned it there, hasn't been around for long, right? Sort of uh, an after effect of the pandemic and, and wanting soccer to be played, but not really having an NWSL season that year. Is it safe to say at this point that the Challenge Cup is is not really indicative of what the regular season or the eventual playoff field is going to look like? At least that was certainly true this year. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about this too. I want to say for this year, it was not a good indicator. Um, I don't think we have enough data to make a definitive uh, point in either direction. 
but that's, you know, it. we'll see what happens next year if the Challenge Cup ends up being that preseason tournament again. My hunch is that probably it won't be a good indicator, but if the Challenge Cup comes at a different time, it won't be a good indicator of the regular season anyway, but <laughs> sure. I think that's my opinion. <laughs> sure, sure. Totally fair. Okay, so to steer us back towards the regular season, and really, again, keeping things macro for now, do you notice that the on-field product of the league is improving year over year because that's something we see. I spent a lot of time covering Major League Soccer, also on the men's side. We do sort of see this almost linear progress of the league from season to season, and there's talk about MLS 1.0 and 2.0 and 3, etc. Do we see that in the NWSL? Do we see the league's quality on the field improving from one year to the next? You know, I'd really like to think so. I mean, the playoff race always feels pretty tight, and this season, I mean, we had an 18 playoff race for only six spots, so it came down to the wire. And I think that speaks to the competitiveness of this league and, and teams being really quality. Um, also, this idea that we have young players coming in, like Jaden Shaw that I mentioned before, and we'll also talk about some rookies later on, but that they're able to come in and just be really great. Uh, that also speaks to this idea that the league is, is improving you know, year over year. Do expansion teams help with that, or do they sort of dilute the talent pool? Because that's another thing I've wondered, looking at San Diego Wave and Angel City, both California teams joining the league this year. It didn't seem like they took a hit, really, and didn't seem to me like the rest of the NWSL took a hit. But, you know, is the player pool expanded to the point where the NWSL can handle adding more teams, and, and certainly these two California teams won't be the last, it seems, on the expansion front for the league? Yeah, I don't I don't think that expansion teams dilute the talent. Really, there's so much talent, you know, worldwide in women's soccer that isn't even being tapped into. So I think that's a great question. I don't think that's a problem for the league. I know that the NWSL is looking to expand still. And given the success of San Diego and Angel City this year, yeah. I think, you know, I'm excited to see what happens in the future with the NWSL expansion. Okay, so let's focus in on some specific teams then after now we've hit on some of the bigger picture stuff. The OL Reign won the NWSL Shield this year. They got a little bonus in the process. Every player earned $10,000 by lifting that trophy. They were really good last year, the OL Reign, under Laura Harvey. Is it a surprise, Ariana, that they lifted the trophy this year? For me, it's really not surprising to see the Reign win the Shield this year. Like you said, last season, they were great. They missed the Shield by a couple of points. So for me, it felt like only a matter of time. I mean, I, I wrote a lot for Backfield this year about OL Reign's stacked roster. And even though they weren't, you know, in first place for large chunks of the season leading up to the end of the season, I think what stands out for me is that they peaked at the right time. So for me, they were the hottest team in the league toward the end of the season. I know we saw a lot about North Carolina being a hot team toward the end and their playoff push. But for me, the Reign winning their last four away games and then securing something like 16 out of their out of a possible 18 points to close out their season. That's Man. just some really great stuff by them to win the Shield. So what changed, right? So what changed after a slower start where maybe they weren't as high up the table as we would have expected given the strength of the squad and how they performed last year? What was different from the early stages of 2022 to that last stretch where they pick up point after point? I think Megan Rapino really turned it on toward the end of the season. She had you know, a really great stretch of games this summer where she was scoring and assisting and and essentially being that difference maker for the rain. So I don't think that anything massive shift. I think maybe the players just started clicking and, you know, they started believing, hey, we really have a shot to win the Shield this year and, and you know, let's go out and do it. Yeah, and when you look at the squad, I know you wrote this for Backheel as I was prepping for this show, you know, no player had more than 10 goals for the rain this year. It was a huge spread of you have you have Megan Rapino with with seven goals this year, Rose Lavelle with six, Jess Jess Fishlock, excuse me, with four. You sort of go down the list, and a number of different players have some pretty impressive scoring numbers, but no one is really bearing the entirety of that load. So yeah, you have the All Rain topping the league this year with the Shield. With that in mind, we've been having a bit of a debate on TSS recently in Major League Soccer again with the perception and prestige of MLS Cup versus the MLS Supporters Shield, and I'm curious. Does that sort of debate or at least discussion around the merits of the Shield, does that happen in the NWSL? Do people have strong feelings about which is more valuable, the NWSL championship at the end of the year or the Shield at the regular season? I think it does. that sort of discourse exists in the NWSL too. For me, I think winning the regular season deserves a lot more attention. Uh, I remember some tweets by OL Reigns, Jess Fishlock actually, and then Portland's Crystal Dunn right around when the Challenge Cup ended earlier this year. 
And they were essentially talking about how there's just not enough respect shown toward the Shield winners. And I'm sort of right there with them, right? It's one thing to win an NWSL playoff that is, you know, now there's a first there's a first round and then semifinal and final. But it's a totally different game to win a 22-game regular season. It's also... You know, like you mentioned, that $10,000 bonus for winning the Shield, that's awesome. But then it's compared to the how the Challenge Cup winners got $10,000 bonus as well. And for me, I have a little cognitive dissonance over that, right? Like that preseason tournament having that price tag on it versus the 22-game regular season. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should bump up that price tag a little bit. Maybe I don't know where that money's coming from. We should figure that out and uh, and try to bump that up at least so the Challenge Cup isn't given quite as much as the Shield winners. But no, I, I totally agree with you. You get a point for for having, in my view at least, the right take on regular season value versus sort of a, a getting hot in the postseason. Not that that's not important, and we'll touch more on that later. But yeah, I, I totally am with you on that. Let's look at the second team in the table. So that's Shield, that's the All Rain. Congratulations to them for winning that piece of hardware for the Portland Thorns. Did their on-field recipe change much this year? There was a coaching change, Mark Parsons to Rian Wilkinson. That was a change, but really Portland and, and All Rain both finished in the top two last year and this year. Did did much change for the Thorns this year on the field? In terms of personnel, I think, you know, of course, there was no Angela Salem, no Lindsay Horan in their midfield this season. So credit to those players that were able to step into those roles. Um, but I don't think that the Portland Thorns really overhauled their system. I mean, Wilkinson did come in and tried out that three-back formation, right, playing in a 3-5-2. But ultimately, that experiment didn't really work out. So they returned to their tried-and-true four-back system. Once they got over that experimental phase, you know, they were really impressive throughout this summer during that, you know, when all the international tournaments were happening, the Portland Thorns were really strong. So I think that propelled them and kept them at the top of the table. They have to be very disappointed with how the season ended, you know, tying Gotham, who was on that really long losing streak, and all they had to do was win <laughs> to get the shield. Um, so I have a feeling that they're going to come out into the playoffs with something to prove here. Yeah, I can see them being pretty upset about that. And, and there's a lot going on in Portland on and off the field right now. But that that ending the season in that way has got to leave a bitter taste in your mouth. And then if you're Sophia Smith, you go off with the U.S. Women's National Team and you lose two games, one to England and one to Spain, and you come back in and you you have to be angry heading into the postseason and wanting something more. For Sophia Smith, Ariana, can you give me any any reason why she is not just the best player in the entire NWSL? Because you look at her numbers, or at least, at the very least, top two or three. I suppose we could loop another couple of, of U.S. Women's National Teamers in there as well. But man, she had just an incredible season this year. I was going to say, well, we can't say she's the outright best because Mallory Pugh is in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. No, it's true. Um, Sophia Smith was lights out for Portland this year. I mean, she broke their franchise single season scoring record. Um, she was really great on both sides of the ball for the Thorns this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how she performs in the playoffs given you know, what you just said about the national team, they, they've got to be disappointed there. So, and then Portland not pulling off the shield win. We'll see what happens. Yeah. You, me, and I think the rest of America are interested <laughs> to see what happens for Sophia Smith. We're going to come back and talk more about the NWSL regular season, looking ahead to the playoffs as well. First, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We started, Ariana, at the top of the table, talking NWSL. We started at the top. Let's continue working our way down here a little bit. You and I talked before the season started about what we expected this year. And preseason predictions are hard. I get that. I'm with you on that. Didn't, didn't we say the San Diego Wave were going to be bad, or at least kind of, sort of, a little bit bad? <laughs> they they were not bad this year, Ariana. They finished uh, third in the standings at the end of the day and were on top of the league for a while. 
what what happened? What what did San Diego do right this year? Yeah, I mean, I was totally off the mark here. I did not expect that San Diego would come out and do what they did this season. I mean, I think Casey Sony really set her team up for success this season. I mean, they have some really great, really strong players that put together amazing seasons, right? Alex Morgan won the Golden Boot. Um, but they also have Naomi Gurma in the back and they're anchoring their back line. Who, I mean, I think she's a true Rookie of the Year candidate. I could see her winning Defender of the Year this year. But, you know, she had a season. Taylor Korniak really had what I think could be called a breakout season. I already said Alex Morgan. Kaylin Sheridan was great in the goal. So I think a perfect storm of, of things really going right. And Casey Stoney leading the way. You know, that's how a team stays at the top of the table for so long, I guess. So we know we know Alex Morgan is good. I think everyone as a society has accepted that long ago. <laughs> we know Alex Morgan is good at soccer. I think we're, we're good on that point. You mentioned a couple other players there that I want to touch on. One is Taylor Korniak, and the other is Naomi Gurma. So let's do Korniak first. Both of these players have played minutes for Vlakovodinovsky and the U.S. Women's National Team this year. We know them a little bit more now maybe than we would have, or at least those of us on the outside looking into women's soccer would have a year ago. You wrote for Backheel earlier this year that Taylor Korniak was playing on the wing last year for Orlando. Is that is that true? Did that actually happen? Because when I watch Taylor Korniak <laughs> play soccer, no part of me says we should put her on the wing. Every part of me screams she should be getting into the box. She should also be getting on the ball in central spaces because she has a touch that is really, really clean. Was she really a miscast winger last year? That's what was going on in Orlando. Um, it's it's mind-blowing. All the things that you just said are things that I agree with. Uh, she <laughs> was not playing on the wing for San Diego this year. And, you know, you take a look at her numbers and they are better than the set of numbers she puts together at Orlando. I think for Taylor Korniak, it it might seem surprising to us because, you know, seeing her on the Pride versus on San Diego, but something that might be overlooked is that this is really only her second true season in the NWSL. So she was drafted by the Pride third overall in 2020, right? So she went really high in the draft. And then the Pride didn't play in that inaugural Challenge Cup in 2020. And then she was with Orlando and now she's on San Diego in her second season. So while I think she you know, put together a really impressive resume this season. I don't know if we've seen all that she can do. I think we're wow. really just scratching the surface, which is kind of the most exciting part. Yeah, that's that's a great bit of insight. I did not realize that uh, Korniak was so early on in her NWSL career. Four goals and four assists this year for San Diego. A brilliant player, as is Naomi Gurma, who has been, Ariana, so good. Like, like mind-bogglingly good for a rookie center back, at least in my view. Then you see her out with the U.S. Women's National Team. I thought she was the U.S.'s best or second best player on the field against England uh, earlier on this week. She, or I guess that would be last week now. Time is a flat circle, whatever. She was brilliant in that game against what might be the best team in the world right now. Sorry, U.S. Women's National Team fans. She was really, really good. What what does Naomi Gurma bring to the wave that has made them so good this year? Or how has how have the wave been such a conducive environment for her to develop? What is going on with Naomi Gurma? Yeah, I mean, a credit to no- Naomi Gurma. Naomi Gurma, excuse me. Um, she's definitely especially talent. I mean, I think Casey Sony talked a lot this year about her maturity on and off the field. And I'm pretty sure she was named a captain in one of the Waves' recent games. I think that speaks for itself. I mean, being a rookie on the team and then also being a captain, that's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, but she, her vision is really great. I mean, her distribution from the back is great. She's good at one-to-one defending, right? What else do you want out of a center back? Um for me, I think that checks all the boxes, you know, and like I said, she's a rookie of the year candidate for me, and I think she really put together a strong case for defender of the year. And and to zoom out to the national team for a second, are you with me that Naomi Gurma should be starting from now until the end of time? I love that idea. Perfect. I'm- Solved it. <laughs> Solved it. I mean, Becky Sauerbrunn's done it, right? So we need the next, I guess, maybe not quite till the end of time or whatever, but Becky Sauerbrunn's been starting games for a long time. Naomi Gurma, to me, looks like Maybe not just the best NWSL center back coming up through the ranks, but also maybe just the best center back, period. And I think we're going to see a lot more of her with the U.S. Women's National Team. Let's stay in California, Ariana, and look at Angel City, who didn't have the same success this year that the San Diego Wave did. They did not end up making the playoffs. They finished eighth in the league. What did you make of their season so far? And, and sort of how did it stack up against maybe where you thought they'd be in the table? Angel City season... This is sort of on par with what I expected from an expansion team, to be honest, sort of like a up and down, really high highs and maybe some low lows. 
Um, but that's not to say that it was a failure by any stretch of the imagination, right? They competed for a playoff spot, which is, you know, what you'd want to do in your first season. Um, of course, they did end their season on a less than ideal note. They lost back-to-back games, right? One to an already eliminated Racing Louisville side, the other to Chicago. But throughout the season, like I said, they they really did hold their own with some teams and pulled off some fun results. I mean, they tied Kansas City, Portland, and even Houston down the stretch. And those were some teams that, you know, were vying for the shield at some point throughout the season. Um, it's unfortunate for Angel City. I think they did deal with some injuries this season. Of course, you can never predict when injuries happen, but Kristen Press went down with an ACL injury, and then they brought in Sydney LaRue from Orlando, and she was kept on the sideline too with an injury. So just some things potentially out of the control of Angel City. But I think when we talk about Angel City, we should also talk about, you know, the success in terms of attendance. Yeah. They had the best regular season average attendance this year with just over something like 19,000 fans every, great. on average, which, yeah, that's awesome. I think it's it was best in the league, and that was pretty close to the record that Portland set a couple years back. And to do that in your first season, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. You, you mentioned the attendance there, which is a huge part of the story, right? I think back to early on in this season, the crowds at Bank of California Stadium were exceptional, and they did keep a lot of that up throughout the year, which is is phenomenal for soccer in that area. Are there other building blocks? I guess the the attendance and sort of the general atmosphere around the, the club and those games specifically right now is a positive for this team after year one. Are there other building blocks maybe on the field that you think can help Angel City try to elevate their game headed into 2023? Freya Coombe did some kind of fun things this year, like unlocking players' talents. Tyler Lucy was in the back line for, you know, chunks of the season um, when she was typically a forward at Portland. So I think things like that, sort of trying out different things in terms of formations and where players can play, um, that's a positive and and something to build off of. I think it would also behoove them to stay healthy. <laughs> and, you know, playing players out of position and realizing it works is one thing, but having to do that because there's no one else to fill those roles is yeah. another thing. So, yeah, if I'm thinking about building for Angel City, it's really, you know, finding those true defenders or true forwards and and having them on the field, staying healthy and, you know, doing their jobs for a whole season. Okay, so one more California-centric and really expansion-centric question so the San Diego Wave became the first NWSL team in their first year to make the playoffs, right? So no other expansion team in their inaugural season had made the postseason. Angel City missed that mark, but they were they were in the hunt for a while this year. Maybe this is a stupid question, Ariana, but like, what is it about being an expansion team that has historically made it so difficult to get above the playoff line? I know in, in other leagues around the world, sometimes you get a, a bit of an advantage even coming in as an expansion team in terms of the resources you have. Is it just simply the lack of experience that you have and a lot of these players have being together that makes it so hard to climb above that playoff line in year one? Yeah, I think that is part of it. I think the NWSL sort of figured out expansion team rules this season. I People seem generally more happy with how the expansion draft and things like that went this year compared to previous years. Um, That's not to say that it was perfect, right? I think expansion drafts are hard for players being sent places maybe they don't want to play. But... um, yeah, having, you know, these players come in and then having to mesh over the course of a season, which feels really long to the fans, but probably, you know, is not that long sure. in the grand scheme of things is definitely difficult. Okay, so expansion team, being an expansion team is hard. That's what we've decided. I don't think we're breaking any new ground there, but you're right to, to point that out to me. I needed to hear that, Ariana. It's true. It is absolutely true. Let's look down a little bit further from San Diego in the top uh, six here in the NWSL. Two teams that I didn't expect to be above the playoff line that ended up exactly in those spots. The Houston Dash and the Kansas City Current. So the Houston Dash finished fourth in the league this year. They were a great story, as were the Current, who finished fifth. Taking them maybe one at a time, we can start with Houston. What what changed for the Dash to get them above the playoff line for a franchise that has struggled for a long time? Yeah, I mean, I totally didn't expect this out of the Dash, I'll just be honest. Um, I think, you know, they had some changes this season, of course. Their head coach, James Clarkson, was out, and then Sarah Loudon was their acting head coach, and she did a really amazing job. And then, you know, Juan Carlos Amaros came in halfway through the season, and he'll be coaching throughout the playoffs, of course. Um, But even with all of that change, right, the Dash moved into playoff position in week two of the season, and they really just never looked back. And they did that without long-term 
longtime Dash veteran and captain, of course, Rachel Daly. So she le- at, when she left for the Euros, she ended up not ever playing for the Dash again because she signed with the Women's Super League team in England. In terms of what changed, I, I don't think there was like an overhaul of the Dash system or anything, even when these coaches were changing. Um, I read a really neat piece on the Equalizer by Blair Newman, and they talked about how uh, when Juan Carlos Amaros came in, the Dash started to train their defending. So training their line, learning when to step, when to drop, when to hold. And I think that practice really translated into some on the field success. So their points per game, their shots conceded per game, all of those metrics improved once Amaros stepped into the head coaching role. So, you know, that's a, probably a subtle change, you know, not like they changed formation or anything, but, but that's something that definitely helped them throughout the season. Okay, so let's apply then the same question to Kansas City, who I didn't expect to be good this year. I don't think you did either. They were really bad last year. Now they're above the playoff line, and and they had, through some celebrations, especially some of the most viral NWSL moments of the season. What changed for Kansas City? Why are they at least kind of sort of maybe a little bit good now? Yeah, I mean, from last season to this season, of course, they have a new head coach, Matt Potter, and that's a big change, but a lot of these Kansas City players are just having really awesome seasons. Uh if we're talking about Kansas City, we really have to talk about Lola Bonta. Yeah. <laughs> of course, she she made headlines for those just really, really fun celebrations, which I loved. But, you know, she scored seven goals, had three assists so far this season. Her head coach refers to her as the engine of the team, and that's kind of hard to disagree with given, you know, the season she's putting together. But it's not just Labonta at Kansas City, which is kind of the fun part. So CeCe Kaiser, right, she came from Racing Louisville. So she had five goals and 22 starts last season. And then she came in 15 goals of the current this year. She scored seven goals and and, uh, added an assist. So, you know, having just a really great season on the current. Um, Haley Mace, again, Kristen Hamilton, right, AD Franch in the back. I think these players are just putting together some really great performances and meshing and, and, you know, the wins came, I mean, they were unbeat, uh, unbeaten in what, 13 games this season. Yeah. Which is wild to me, Ariana as well, because coming into the season from where I sat, I was thinking, okay, it's Lynn Williams, it's Ann Mewis. Like that, that is the, that those are the two key players for this Kansas city team. Both get injured, both barely play this year. I believe Lynn Williams played less than 90 minutes and Sam Mewis played just about 90 minutes this year. I mean, that's that's nothing out of those two players who are not able to suit up and, and contribute this year. And yet you have other players like Labonta and like Kaiser, and other smart moves, it seems to me, at least from Kansas City on the, the roster building pers- uh, from, from that perspective. I think they've done a really good job this year. Transitioning maybe away from teams that have done good things. Actually, no, quickly, let's talk about Chicago. Excuse me. Let's not leave Chicago behind. They finished just on the right side of the playoff line. They finished in sixth, one point ahead of the North Carolina Courage in seventh. But good or bad, thumb up or thumb down for the Red Stars this year? Yeah, I think it might be a cop out, but I might have to, you know, do a little sideways thumb for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, like you said, Mallory Pugh, great season. Um, but the Red Stars also were sort of in the injury boat this year. Mm-hmm. Their back line was really shaken up. I mean, Tierna Davidson went down early in the season, Kayla Sharples. Um, and then the Red Stars really didn't make moves during those transfer windows. So when, you know, their defenders were out for a yellow card suspension or misconduct on the field with the double middle fingers. Um, they were sort of like, "Uh oh, who do we play back here? You know, so I think in terms of Chicago altogether, yes, they probably missed the mark on their expectations because they've made the playoffs so many times and they are sure. vying for the championship. But with the context of injuries and just, you know, who was available and healthy, I think six places a pretty good bet for Chicago. Okay, I will join you with my thumb pointed to the side, and we can both have that together (laughs) about the Chicago Red Stars. It feels right. I think that's the right appropriate angle for our thumbs to be. Now let's drop below the playoff line before we head into our second break. And I want to do a quick what went wrong for dot, dot, dot for the rest of the teams that missed the playoffs. So let's drop one spot beneath the Chicago Red Stars and talk about the North Carolina Courage. Ariana, what went wrong for the North Carolina Courage this year? So I think North Carolina forgot how to defend for large chunks of the season. That would make it difficult. (laughs) Yep, that would make it difficult. No, I'm kidding. But, I mean, they stayed in last place for for 12 consecutive weeks. And, of course, it's very difficult to come back from that, even though they almost did, right? If they had won in their last game, they would have been in the playoffs, which is 
again, mind blowing, but they scored 46 goals over 22 games. And so for me, it's like, how do you score that many goals and still miss the playoffs? I would have loved for them to make the playoffs, make the playoffs because watching Deanna Ordonez, Caroline Nicoli and Dabinia this season were just, that was just a lot of fun. Really sad to see that come to an end, but I guess that's what happens when um, you are sleeping in your defensive third for large chunks of games. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The courage, like you mentioned, 46 goals this year. That's the second most goals in the entire league. And it is a shame that that, that attacking trio you mentioned is going to have to watch the playoffs from home because mm-hmm. they are brilliant. And, and the courage for me, a lock and change between now and the start of next season are very much a team to watch in the NWSL. They have a ton of attacking talent. So hopefully better things ahead for the North Carolina courage. Louisville. Let's talk about racing Louisville. We mentioned Angel City already, so we're going to skip them and go down to ninth in the table. Ariana, what went wrong for Racing Louisville this year? They also struggled defensively. And when I think about Racing Louisville's defense, I really, I almost want to give Katie Lund her flowers. And you might ask, like, how do I do that when, you know, a goalkeeper concedes 35 goals? But she put together a really impressive season, all things considered. So she made the most saves of all keepers this year. She faced the most shots. Um, She had the highest goals minus expected goals value. So and then she also led the season starting goalkeepers in goals added per 96. That's an American soccer analysis metric. Um, I, I just imagine what sort of season she might have put together if her team actually defended. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I we'd be hard pressed to see her on a goalkeeper of the year shortlist, I think. But if I were in charge, she would be on there. So. Okay, so in in Ariana's fictional NWSL world, Katie Lund is winning goalkeeper of the year, or is she just on the shortlist? Which is I it? think she's on the shortlist. Okay, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Maybe we can follow <laughs> up on that later. Let's drop down to Orlando quickly. So there's a lot of context around this, and again, just to reiterate, around the NWSL as a whole, right now, uh, Amanda Cromwell, head coach, is gone. Uh, she is out after a joint investigation from the NWSL and the NWSL Players Association found allegations of workplace misconduct, and, and there's a lot of that all throughout, weave throughout the NWSL right now. So it is, again, a difficult time in the league. What went wrong if we if we set a little bit of that to the side, at least in as much as we can? What went wrong for Orlando as they finished 10th this year? You know, again, talking about defense, anytime you allow over 40 goals in a season, it's really hard to be successful. So they conceded, I think, 45 goals this season. Yep. Um, I don't know if that tells Orlando's whole story, though, because for some stretches of the season, they were really hitting above their weight. Um, they were in playoff position for three weeks at the beginning of the season, which they were probably really stoked about. And then, you know, they dropped off a little bit, but then they were around eight or nine in the table, which, you know, that's not last place. So that's pretty good for Orlando. (laughs) That is where the bar has been set. That's where we're setting the bar for the Orlando pride. It feels kind of right, sadly. I think so. I mean, I feel bad saying that, but. I mean, we yes. just call it like we see it. We just call it like we see it, Ariana. <laughs> Let's keep going. We'll move down the table one more spot. The Washington Spirit. So this is a, a really interesting one to me. This is a first-to-worst situation, basically. So the Washington Spirit won the NWSL Championship last year, were very exciting, played some good soccer along the way, and now, uh, to, again, to add, dealt with a lot last year as well. Now this year they're all the way down in 11th in the table and were eliminated from playoff contention pretty early on this season what changed for the spirit that ha- that that basically led them this far down the table? They returned a lot of their star power from 2021, right? Trinity Rodman, Ashley Sanchez, um, Ashley Hatch, right? All of these players that made headlines last season for being lights out were on the team again. And I think for whatever reason, things on the field just weren't clicking. The spirit did have that really rough patch of games in the first couple of months of the season where they played just an enormous amount of minutes over a very short amount of time. And I think they never recovered. And of course, like you mentioned about Orlando, right? They also, the spirit also faced off the field issues. They had a coaching change mid season. Their former head coach, Chris Ward was fired. So I think things on the field weren't clicking and the spirit are definitely going to look forward to next season. They are eager. I am sure to get ahead to next season. Let's finish out with the table before we get into the playoffs and awards and our final segment, the Gotham Gotham FC finished 12th this year. What Ariana went wrong for Gotham who finished last, like I said. <laughs> yeah, I I did not expect this from Gotham. I really didn't. They only managed to win a handful of games and they tied only one, their last game of the season against the Portland Thorns, which the Thorns were probably not happy about. But um, they did allow the most goals this season of all teams. I think that raises a really large red flag in their defensive third. They clearly missed Kaylin Sheridan, who was in their goalkeeper for a while before 
you know, she headed over to San Diego and put together a season with them. But I think Gotham really missed Ali Long's midfield presence this year. So she was on parental leave. Um, and last season, I thought Ali Long was great. I thought she was kind of underrated. I know that might be a hot take, but seeing Gotham this year struggle in their midfield without her, I think speaks to how important she really was for this team. So I'm excited for next season to see that Christy Mewis, Ali Long midfield, should they both stay in New Jersey, New York. Okay, so maybe things to be excited about for Gotham FC as we look towards 2023. We're not ready, though, to look forwards <laughs> all the way towards 2023. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk MVP and Rookie of the Year and some other awards, and then look ahead to the playoffs. Back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Ariana, you were kind enough to walk us through the table. Let's talk through some awards, shall we? I'd like to get your pick and your reasoning 
for each of these awards. MVP, Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, and now, because you said you had a short list, the Goalkeeper of the Year as well. Let's start, though, with MVP, the biggest one probably of all of these. Sophia Smith is got to be high up that list, as do a couple other U.S. Women's National Team players. Who is your MVP this year? Yeah, I think for me it's Mallory Pugh. Okay. Um, when I think of an MVP, I really try to think about how that team looks with and without the player in question. And I think Mallory Pugh really did lead this team to the playoffs this year. She scored 11 goals, but she also added another six assists. So that was tied for best in the league. You know, I think she came up big when it really mattered. And that last game, Chicago needed to win. And she scored the goal that ended up being the game winner. So, um, you know, for me, it's got to be Mallory Pugh. Does that have to, then just to summarize, with basically the Thorns look better or, or the Wave look better without Sophia Smith or Alex Morgan than the Chicago Red Stars do without Mallory Pugh? Uh, yes. Okay. I gotcha. do think so. Fair I mean, enough. I yes, I could say that about Sophia Smith and the, th- and the Thorns, right? They are 100% better with her on the field, but I think it's this all one's got to go to Pugh. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So let's dive into Rookie of the Year. We mentioned Naomi Gurma. A couple of other strong rookies this year as well. Ariana, who is your pick for that particular award? Yes, I'm going with Gurma here still. Um, I think it's really easy to overlook defenders because people, you know, they they focus on the players that put the ball in the back of the net, right? Defense can win championships. Can it win a game? I mean, technically, yes, but that's <laughs> we often think of the goal scorers score, uh, winning games. Um, but for San Diego to concede only 21 goals this season, and that was only two off from O.L. Reigns number that led the league and have that be accomplished by a back line that was led by a rookie. I mean, I don't think it gets much better than that. Yeah. I'm currently working on my application for the Naomi Gurma fan club. I'm hoping it gets accepted, (laughs) but as, as a member, as a, as a prospective member, I can't disagree with anything you just said. That feels entirely correct to me. Let's do coach of the year. I know you wrote about this a bit for backheeled Ariana, who is your coach of the year this year and why? Yeah, I think Casey Sony's probably going to win this one. Um, she broke the expansion team ceiling this year. She's Her team spent 11 back-to-back weeks at the top of the table, and now they have a home playoff game, which is just so much fun uh, for an expansion team. And, you know, I think, to be honest, the Wave are probably really disappointed to not have won the Shield, which the fact that they were even in contention for the Shield in their sure. first season is great. And, you know, Casey Stoney being at the helm for that is something that should be uh, rewarded. Okay, so after you tortured Racing Louisville fans with not giving the Goalkeeper of the Year award to Katie Lund. Ariana, who is your Goalkeeper of the Year? We've gone through MVP, Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, now with the Goalkeeper. Yeah, I'm going to say Fallon Tullis-Joyce here. So I mentioned before that the OL Reign did have some times throughout the season where they maybe just weren't gelling as much as they could have with all the star power on their roster. But she, even if the Reign weren't scoring goals, right, Tullis-Joyce was making saves. And that ended up, I think, being the difference for the rain. She only conceded, excluding own goals, she only conceded, I think, 16 goals on the season. So that was the best of all keepers, all starting keepers, that is. that It's really her first year as a starting keeper in the league. So I think that's pretty great. I like it. I like it a lot, Ariana. I like your short list. I like your winner of those different awards. We've talked some about, and even you could see that reflected in some of the awards we just discussed, about U.S. Women's National Team players in the, in the NWSL. And there are a lot of really, really good ones. Almost even setting that aside, I guess I guess we can still look at U.S. Women's National Team players, but maybe some less heralded ones or players from other countries. Who were some, maybe one or two, breakout stars that you noticed and started to really appreciate in the NWSL this season? Uh, Deanna Ordonez on the North Carolina Courage. She's a rookie too, which is great, but she... Smashed the NWSL rookie goal scoring record this season. And I mentioned before the courage is sort of trek up the table from from number 12. And I think Ordonez was a big part of that. And that's impressive, right? To kind of put the team on your back in your first season and say, hey, we're going to do this. She participated in the Golden Boot Race, which is a lot of fun. Of course, she was edged out by other players, but I think she's also been great for Mexico. I mean, she scored the equalizer in their recent game for uh, Mexico. So you know, I think she's developing as a pro on the international and also club stage, which is just, we're really lucky to be able to watch that here in the NWSL. Yeah, she's brilliant. And, and again, North Carolina Courage have, I think, a lot of things to look forward to next year, at least on the attacking side. Ordonez is certainly part of that. Ariana, we've beat around the bush for long enough. Let's talk playoffs for a bit before we ride off into the sunset. Uh, I, I want to look ahead a little bit to the final before we talk about how teams might get there. 
The NWSL Championship game this year is going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern at Audi Field in Washington, uh, Washington, D.C., I should add, on October 29th, and it's going to be aired nationally on CBS in prime time. This is the NWSL Championship game's first time ever slotting into that prime time window. How, how big of a deal is that? To me, it feels like a big deal, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this is huge. I'm really excited about this, uh, especially... Thinking back to last year's final, so that was at noon Eastern time on a Saturday. I mean, even that wasn't great because it was supposed to be played at Providence Park, right? So that would be a 9 a.m. kickoff on the West Coast. And to have, you know, pro players compete for a championship at nine in the morning is just kind of outrageous. So (laughs) it looks really great to have this game at primetime coming off of last season with all of that controversy around when the game would happen. Um, But that aside, I think anytime the NWSL or women's soccer, women's sports are on TV, that's just a win. That's a step in the right direction. We've shown time and time again that when women's soccer is accessible to a large number of people, people are going to watch it. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what the numbers look like, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if there are some records for, for the NWSL. Yeah, I'm excited to see this game on CBS. I think it's going to do numbers in prime time, to be totally mm-hmm. honest, on October 29th. As I said, Given how close the Shield race was, Ariana, moving moving into sort of the actual playoffs themselves, and, and given how close really the bottom of the playoff field was, the race to, to finish out that that top six, are there clear favorites in the postseason? I, I guess maybe the top two spots would be in that category, or, or, or is this a crapshoot? Because I think we do get that in sports a lot about playoffs just being sort of a toss a bunch of ping pong balls into a bag and pick a few out. But but is that is that the case this year, or do we have some favorites? I want to say it's really anyone's trophy to win. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, right, if if the Portland Thorns or the Oil Rain ended up winning it all, but because they finished, you know, one and two. But when we think back to last season, they were top two in the table again, and then they lost in the semis at home. Yep. So, you know, I think that just speaks to it being really anyone's game. I say this all the time about the NWSL. I think on any given day, any team can win. And to be honest, I think there were some non-playoff teams that might have had a shot, right? Looking at you, North Carolina. But um, I'm glad I'm not in the business of betting because I'm not sure who I would bet on. Right. That feels difficult, to say the (laughs) least, in this particular situation. So then if this is a little bit of a crapshoot anybody's game, if you had to pick out a couple of playoff X factors for, for me and maybe those of us that haven't watched as much NWSL this year, who or, or what would they be and why? So we could be talking players or coaches or a home field advantage, whatever that looks like. Hit me with at least one or two playoff X factors. Yeah, I think I'm thinking about players here, players that maybe like have a clutch gene. So Megan Rapino comes to mind for me here. Um, I Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Ola Rain won at all. I think Rapino's come up big in some regular season games The Rain needed to win. And I think she's going to do that again in the playoffs. Okay, so that's Megan Rapino. Maybe one other X Factor, or at least maybe another team that you think could surprise. I guess if it is anybody's game, maybe looking further down in the top six. Maybe it's Mallory Pugh putting on a show. Maybe it's Labanta doing something. Give me one other thing to be watching for at the very least in this postseason. Yeah, I'm going to keep my eye on Chicago because, like I said, they have, they've had back-to-back upsets in the final. So part of me really wants Chicago to get to the final this year and redeem themselves. I think that would be just a really great arc. Um, But then how fun is that last to best arc for Kansas City, right? That's another, I don't know. I I love the storyline. I could... I would be here for either of those. <laughs> you just want the Red Stars to win, Ariana, so that your Mallory Pugh for MVP campaign can be vindicated. And and, and your, I was going to throw in a Sophia Smith burn there, but I get it. I do get the appeal for Chicago from the narrative standpoint. And they do have, I think, the top end talent to pull that off. Let's look then at a couple of matchups that we're going to be seeing basically around the corner. So Houston Dash in Kansas City and San Diego Wave in the Chicago Red Stars. Those games are on Sunday, October 16th. 2 p.m. for Houston and Kansas City, and 7 p.m. Just realize those times are for me and not for anyone who lives on the East Coast. You can do the math. Just add three. It's not that hard. Ariana, better first-round matchup for you of those two, Houston, Kansas City, or San Diego, Chicago, and why? Yeah, so I'm a little more excited for Houston, Kansas City. Uh, So I did some playoff probability things with American Soccer Analysis, and it turns out that Houston's got some like slight advantage or no, Kansas city has a slight advantage when we're looking at the data, but then okay. home field advantage is factored in and, and Houston sort of has the edge. So for me, that's just a lot of fun. Like, well, who's going to win? I don't know. The data doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think there's a ton of value in that kind of, 
of back and forth between which of those things will happen. So look at the other one, the the, the match that maybe is, has slightly less billing, although I don't maybe in terms of star power and some of the names involved might be the one that a lot of other folks gravitate towards. San Diego and Chicago, do you have one team, if there's no team with an edge in the other matchup, do you have one team that, that you think maybe has this edge between San Diego and the Red Stars? I do. I think my gut is telling me San Diego might pull this one off, even though I just said I would have loved to see Chicago in the sure. final, which means they'd have to win the first round. But, um, you know, like you said, star power, Alex Morgan, if she's fit and ready to play, you know, she's dealing with some injury that kept her out of national team camp and also the Waves last regular season game. Um, if Alex Morgan's ready to go, I could see her coming up big for this San Diego team. So okay. Okay. we should keep We're- our eye out. We will. We will. I have commanded for all of us. We shall. We shall do so. One more question, Ariana, before I let you go. Thank you again for diving through all of this with me. Who's your pick for champion? I know Chicago is maybe what your heart wants. What do you want? Brain, heart, whatever else you want to be using here. Who is your pick to lift the trophy on October 29th? All right. I'm going to go with the OL Reign here. Oh, so the double. I Yes. I would love for that, the Shield and the NWSL championship. I mean, like I said, I think they really do have the perfect storm this year. Um, And all of those players are peaking at the right time. And I also think their head coach is ready to win the shield and the championship in the same season. The last time her team won the shield, they lost in the finals. So we shall see what happens. Okay. Ariana, where can people find your work? Where, before I let you go, where can people find your work, read more from you, follow you on social media, plug whatever you've got to plug before we ride off here. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Cascone Ariana, so my last and first name. And I write soccer words for backheel.com, some things on Equalizer Soccer, and then also with American Soccer Analysis, so a bunch of different places. Boom. All right, folks, go read Ariana's stuff. Go follow her on Twitter and, and wherever else. Ariana, thank you again for talking all things NWSL with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be back again soon. 